Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations, including the topics you are too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm Sheena Yap Chan, and I'll be your host for today. And today we're going to welcome Council Member Nithya Raman. Council Member Nithya Raman is an urban planner, a working mom of preschool age twins, an immigrant to America, and a member of the Los Angeles City Council representing District 4. Council Member Nithya Raman, how are you today? Maybe you can fill in a little bit about yourself and what it was like uh, living in India and in the U.S.? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here today. Yeah, as you mentioned, I'm actually now um, a working mom, mom to kindergartners as of two weeks ago, which is very exciting. Um, twin twin kindergartners. Um, but I am an immigrant to the U.S. I grew up um, when I was first born. I was born in the state of Kerala in southern India, and I lived there till the age of six when I moved to the, U- to the U.S. with my parents. Um, we moved initially to Louisiana, where my father was studying, and then I spent a lot, most of my childhood in the Boston area where I grew up in a suburb outside of Boston and ended up earning both my undergraduate and graduate degrees in and around the Boston area. So I've spent a lot of time out there, but I've lived in Los Angeles as an adult for a number of years now. And um, now I'm an elected representative here. And in so many ways, I think um, what is so exciting about this journey that I've had is that as an adult, actually after I graduated from college, I went back to India and worked there for a number of years. I worked there for almost 10 years as an adult. And even though I'm from India, I obviously look Indian, I spoke um, uh, a South Indian language. Because I was an American citizen by then and because I had spent so much time outside of India, I was really considered an American in India, right, in many ways. So I had this like kind of weird inside-outside status. Um, And I saw a lot of people around me who had come in from other countries to India. And even after many, many years there, they still, to me, you know, people, so much of India is, is, is all Indians. People look the same in different parts of the country. People speak the same language that it's very hard for outsiders to come there and get integrated into that culture and become part of India in a um, in the way that it happens here. And so in many ways, my time outside of, of America made me really excited to come back to what America is. So I, I know, you know, I struggled with being a South Asian in a primarily white um, school district gro- growing up. Uh, I had a lot of, I experienced a lot of bullying. I I felt very alone at many times, but my time in India actually reinforced for me what in many ways is so unique about America and American culture and the diversity of American culture, which is that at the end of the day, I, I was, I, I am an American, my children who are dark skin like me and fully South Asian in, in their heritage, they are Angelinos and no one will question that. You know, and that's that's what makes me really excited about the present of America and the potential of America, and particularly of Los Angeles, and makes me really excited to represent Los Angeles. Awesome! Thanks for sharing that. And I love it. Right? I think it's it's so important to talk about that. Like, I live in Toronto, which is also one of the most multicultural cities in the world, and I consider myself Torontonian, even though I'm Chinese, and be, just because I've been living here for so long. So, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And after living in the U.S. for many years, you returned to India and founded the research firm Transparent Chennai. Could you tell us about this endeavor? Absolutely. So I 
um, I went back to India as an adult, actually before and after my master's program. And I had a master's in urban planning. And when I was first in India, right after college, I worked with groups that were fighting evictions in slums. So they were, slums are, you know, informal settlements. So shanty towns, they go by all kinds of different names. And in India, there's a lot of them. A lot of the urban poor lives in communities that are unrecognized. They're not on maps. They're unplanned. They don't have a lot of basic services. And often in response to challenges that the government was facing, they would just get raised. They would get bulldozed. And uh, it was a constant struggle to also to prevent these evictions, but also to fight for really basic services like running water, toilets, kind of the basic humanitarian needs that you need for survival on a day-to-day basis. So when I returned after my master's program, I came back armed with urban planning tools. So these were mapping skills. These were community planning skills. Um, and this was also an awareness of larger planning processes that I knew that if communities that were living in these slums could leverage those planning processes. They could use them to get more services, to get more rights, to get more access to the things that they really needed in order to survive and to thrive. And so I founded a group called Transparent Chennai, which used mapping skills, surveying and data skills to support communities that were fighting for these basic rights with data and and research that could really help them make better claims for those rights. So we had a team of people and a whole network of community volunteers who would come out and do things like survey public toilets in slum areas and found out really stark numbers, like the fact that there was you know a single toilet for an entire neighborhood of hundreds of people, which is mind-blowing. And we use that data to basically push the municipal government to take more action. Thanks for sharing that. That's crazy information that you mentioned. It also just, you know, perspective of like how grateful we are to live in the U.S. that, you know, we have a toilet just for our own family versus one toilet for hundreds of people living in the slums. And, you know, then in I then in 2013, you moved back to U.S. from India to Los Angeles. Uh, why did you decide to move back? And was it a difficult decision for you to make? Um, well, I'd worked in India for many years, um, and I loved my work there. I had created a real community for myself in Chennai, a network of people who were working at the nonprofit that I was in and who were engaged in advocacy for a lot of the same things that we were fighting for. Um, and I was deeply embedded in a community there, which I loved. But I had been married, um, I w- and I was had been in a long-term relationship before that marriage with a man who was based in the U.S. He works in the entertainment industry, and he had lived in New York and Los Angeles, mostly in Los Angeles. And so we would we had actually been living in different countries for many years. And I and I think after some time in India, I realized that my future was really here in America and here in more specifically in Los Angeles. And I wanted to start having a family, and I didn't see a future for myself where we were in different places. And so I made the decision to come back here. And um, honestly, it was a hard decision to leave India, but it was an exciting decision to come to Los Angeles um, because of, I think, the potential and power um, to create a new community here in L.A. for myself, which is exactly what I, I ended up doing. So it was, it was exciting. Thanks for sharing that. I know sometimes it's not easy, right? Especially as women, Asian women, trusting our gut is so hard to do. 
Um, when, when you know something's right, you're just going to go ahead and do it, even if it's hard at times, right? Everything happens for a reason. Uh, prior to enter, entering politics, you founded and headed a homelessness nonprofit in LA and was the executive director of Time's Up Entertainment. It sounds like a very significant initiative, yet I'm sure it must have come with some challenges. Would you mind sharing your experience? Well, so when I moved back to the U.S., I worked for the city of Los Angeles before. Um, I worked for an office called the City Administrative Officer, Office of the City Administrative Officer. And it's he's basically the the, the person and the, that department is the department that really manages the city's budgets. And so what I did there was to look at the issue of homelessness and how we were spending money on homelessness. Um, and I really, and I found that in response to tens of thousands of people already living on the streets in the city of Los Angeles, we had responded primarily by putting people who were experiencing homelessness in jail. That was what the bulk of our money was going towards in, in LA. That was what the city had chosen to spend its money on. And after some time working with the city, putting out this report, which ended up getting a huge amount of coverage and actually in many ways pushed the city to start making changes on the on that exact issue, on putting more money towards services and housing, um, I left City Hall. I was kind of uh, disillusioned at that time by what I saw. Uh, and I really wanted to go and do work in my own neighborhood. And so when I got to my neighborhood, I took a little break because I ended up having twins. So I took some time to, to be at home with the twins and not do that much work outside of the house. But I joined my neighborhood council's homelessness committee. And in response to a rising number of tents in our neighborhood um, and in the surrounding neighborhoods, a bunch of people who were involved with neighborhood councils and the homelessness committees got together and started just volunteering on weekends. And so we would go out from encampment to encampment. We would walk from encampment to encampment. We would get to know people who are experiencing homelessness. We'd hand out water bottles. We'd hand out breakfast. And we'd just ask them what they needed in order to be able to get back into housing. And we realized that we needed more services in our neighborhoods. We needed more places where people could talk to case managers. We needed places where people could take a shower. And so we formed this nonprofit called SELA, which ended up both doing that work actually bringing showers to our neighborhood, actually bringing those services to the neighborhood. But it also did something else, which was kind of an accidental thing, but ended up being so powerful for our neighborhood, which is that it created a whole number of volunteers who, for whom this was the first time that they engaged with the issue of homelessness. This was the first time that they spoke to somebody experiencing homelessness and realized how hard it was for people experiencing homelessness to get off the streets, to, to move into housing again. And so it created a whole network of not just volunteers, but advocates for more resources for homelessness to be directed to our neighborhoods. And so I think for me, SELA was an incredible window into the untapped potential of Los Angeles residents to advocate for more just solutions to our housing and homelessness crisis. And it's kind of the thing that inspired me to actually run for office. I love that. And I think it's great what you guys have done. And would also love to hear about you being the executive director of Times Up Entertainment, what that was like. It was um, exciting. You know, obviously Times Up has been in the news for a lot of, um, you know, issues related to poor management and um, uh, other kinds of conflicts of interest in their leadership. But I was running a, a division of Times Up, which was focused on making programs and um, 
in the entertainment industry that would actually lead to substantive changes. I was their first hire that was really related to doing programming. And I took that very seriously. So I created a mentorship program for which I raised a huge amount of money that enabled people from underrepresented groups to be able to move forward in the executive and producer pipeline. I created networking opportunities for Black women in the industry and for women of color to get together, to know each other across um, across job categories. So producers met directors, met actors, met people who worked in production, meaning they worked behind the camera or on the sets. And that created an opportunity for women to have an alternative network. You know, a, a, a men in the industry already had that network and we were creating a new network of people that could use that network to get jobs, to get promoted, to get on projects. And that was really powerful. We created a protocol for safety on sets where you could uh, basically sets are a really unique environment. They're temporary places of work. So we analyzed the working conditions um, of a set, whether it was an indie set or a big set, um, and tried to create protocols that could help women have a safe working environment and a, a working environment that was free of bullying and sexual harassment. And we started talking to unions to help them understand what their rights were and how you could um, put those rights into practice. But I was at Time's Up for a year, and it was an exciting moment to be there, and I was really invested in the work that we were doing. But I think some of the same challenges that that have come out recently about management um, and my interest in really running for office and in, and in working on the issues that I had studied, you know, I'd studied urban planning issues. I deeply cared about urban poverty in Los Angeles and housing issues in Los Angeles. That was really calling me. Um, and so for me, I think it was, uh, it was a moment where I felt like I had to step up and I had an opportunity to step up. And so, um, and so I made the decision to leave after a year. Thanks for sharing that. And I love how you mentioned, you know, you had that calling to step up because sometimes it's not easy and it's really scary to step up and just do the work that you're meant to do. And, you know, you being that example has been great. I mean, you won the election for the fourth council district. And as the first South Asian, the first Asian woman and the 19th woman elected to the Los Angeles City Council, having never held office before, that's like a huge accomplishment. And what was your inspiration or motivation behind your running for office? Well, you know, I think I talked about this a little bit already that I felt this calling to take action on these issues that uh, that I felt really deeply about. Um, but uh, the thing that really motivated me, I think, more than anything else was that we had an opportunity in this election to, to talk about issues in a different way. So usually municipal elections in LA are happen in off years. So that means very few people vote. Um, very few people. But this was the first time that our municipal election cycle changed to have it be at the same time as our federal elections. So it was the Trump-Biden election. And and the, that so my election overlapped with initially the Democratic primary, which was, as you know, a hotly contested primary here in America. Um, and then the, the, the election, which was, you know, huge voter turnout. And we knew that we would see huge voter turnout, especially in the city of Los Angeles. And so for me, it was an opportunity to say, look, municipal politics has been really ignored in Los Angeles for a long time, but there are these issues that are huge issues that are overwhelming for people. Homelessness is an overwhelming crisis for the city. Our housing prices are through the roof, and those are a direct result of decisions that our city government has made over the past few years. And so for me, it was an opportunity to talk about those issues in new ways and to bring more voters into the race. And so that's why I decided to step up, because I thought 
we can't ignore this anymore and we have to get more people engaged. And what better way to get people engaged than through a political campaign? And that's exactly what we did. We had hundreds of volunteers in the primary. We had about 600 volunteers going door to door, talking about these issues, talking about policies. And so many people voted in the primary. And then in the general election, which happened through COVID, we had over 2,000 volunteers who wrote postcards, who made phone calls, who talked to their neighbors. And it was really a dramatic, dramatic rise in voter turnout. In the previous election, about 24,000 people voted. In the election that I won, over 130,000 people voted in this district. So huge increase. Um, and, you know, it was, an, it was an exciting election. It's, it's so amazing to hear your story and learning that, you know, you started with 600 volunteers and over 2,000 volunteers because they understood what you stood for and they, they were running with you no matter what happens. And I'm glad, you know, you won the election. What has your journey been like these past eight months? What has been your biggest rewards and challenges? Well, you know, it's been nine months now, so it's it's a long time, um, but it also feels like the blink of an eye, partly because uh, what this period of time in office has been so unusual. So when I first started, it was the peak of COVID cases here in Los Angeles. I didn't even come to City Hall. I didn't see my offices till a couple of months in just because it was not safe to be out and about and to be in indoor spaces at all. Um, I hired a lot of my team without ever meeting them face-to-face. -face. I did all my interviews via Zoom. Uh, we came into office at a time when the city was facing what was rumored to be a billion-dollar budget deficit. So services had been slashed. Streets weren't getting cleaned. They are just now getting back to normal. So, you know, I think it's been a really strange time to take office. I think it's not just been strange for me. It's been strange for everyone. No one has experienced a time like this before. And I think another thing that I think has been a very real factor at this moment is that things are tumultuous. People are angry. People are upset. And the fact that the Delta variant came, I think, destabilized people even more. You know, I think it made people even more kind of um, anxious about the future. And that's playing itself out in various ways um, across the city across different issues in our response to homelessness, it's it's a time of real tumultuousness right now. But I will say that, you know, I turned 40 at the end of July. So it was a big, you know, big, big birthday and um, a moment for me to really look back and think about what, where I was in my life. And, um, you know, I think for me, it was such a real sense of gratitude for this role and for, for what I'm able to achieve. Like we've been able to get more people into housing um, in the months that I've been in office um, than I ever was as a volunteer. This The amount of power that we have, that I have as a council member to push for the changes that I need. We got some of the strongest tenant legislation passed in the city of Los Angeles. Um, I'm really pushing on building affordable housing in a district that hasn't built affordable housing for decades. It's humbling to be in this position, you know, and, and it's like, a, it's a real privilege. It's a real, um, sense of joy that I have to be able to do this, despite the fact that the context is like nothing, any political official, I think in the city of Los Angeles has experienced before, but it's, it's been, it's been quite a journey for sure.
Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, congrats to all the work that you've done so far. I think it's great. And yeah, yes, you're right. Like the pandemic has been such a weird time for everybody. Um, but, you know, whatever situation we're in as women, we also are capable of doing great things no matter what. And you're a great example of that, you know, being able to help homelessness and change housing and just doing so many amazing things for the city of Los Angeles. Um, would you like to share any personal words of wisdom or your life's philosophy with our audience? Um, you know, I think especially given the audience of this particular, um, um, this particular program, I think I'd like to speak to my Asian sisters out there and to say that, you know, it took me a really long time to think about running for office. It took me a long time to think of myself as a leader. Um, and I don't know whether that's cultural or whether that is a product of the environment that I grew up in where I was often you know, the um, one of a handful of people of color in, in a room. Um, I think there's a lot of different reasons why it took me a long time to think of myself as a leader. And I think to to my to my sisters, I would just say, um, let's think of ourselves as leaders from the very beginning. Let's think of ourselves as voices that need to be heard, um, and let's stand stand in our power. Um, you know, fr from day one. Um, it took me much longer than it should have, I think, to think of myself in those terms. And even today, I struggle with it. And I think we don't, we shouldn't, you know, we don't need to have that anymore. Um, and I, I'm really excited to be continuing to engage with uh, audiences, particularly of young women, I do a lot of um, engagements with schools and with middle schools and with high schools and with college-age um, students and women's organizations, and I want to do more of it because the more that we're out there and taking up space, the more that young people today will feel like they have the right to take up that space. I love that you mentioned, you know, uh, leadership is so important because as Asian women, we hardly see ourselves in leadership roles, right? Even the numbers right now are still, you know, next to nothing, but it's up to women like you and us to really show other Asian women that we we can be leaders. We can go out there and do amazing things. We can go there and forge our own path. And, you know, what do you what do you believe is the most important leadership quality of being in politics? You know, one, I, I don't know what is the most important, but I do want to talk about something that I think is under-discussed, which is management skills. I think it's really important to take management seriously and to create and to think about team building seriously. Uh, this is not to say that I'm, I'm perfect at it, far from, you know, but, um, but it is something that I think is a pro something that can, especially for women in politics, I think the ability to build a strong campaign, the ability to build a strong office that gets its work done, I think a lot of that is really incumbent upon team building and management skills. And so I think one thing I would say to anyone who's considering leadership roles, public, you know, public facing leadership roles, is also to take management classes and to think about management as an essential skill to have in these situations. Um, how do you hold people accountable? How do you create a culture of positivity and trust? Um, those are all things that I think are things that I wish I knew better how to do now. I wish I had invested more in it before, uh, but things I think are really, really important um, in these roles now. 
Thanks for sharing that. I think that's a great advice that you mentioned. And I know you mentioned you have twins. I mean, what's like that like, you know, being a city council member and having a household, like how do you balance family and work? Or is, is there such a thing as balance? <laughs> it's been hard for sure, especially during the pandemic. There was a period when I first started, uh, the other thing I didn't mention when I was talking about my initial months in office is that my kids were home. We didn't have in-person school. We had preschool, um, which was you know, it was uh, kept getting postponed, kept getting postponed, but they weren't going back. So they were at home with me. Um, I, you know, my, we were home, my husband and I were homeschooling. It was very, very challenging. And even with them in kindergarten, we still have to manage them, um, you know, after school and on weekends. Uh, and there's still limitations on the amount of childcare that we can get because of the pandemic. Even without that, it's it's been an incredibly challenging time overall just to have little kids and be running for office and to be in office. Two things that have really helped me. One is that um, both my parents and my in-laws have been a huge source of support. And so I, I, there's no way that I would have been able to do this without them. They don't live in Los Angeles, but they've come and spent extended time with us. And I really owe my ability to run a campaign to them. And the second is that my husband sees himself as an equal partner for me in childcare and in um, all things related to the children. In fact, for the last two or three years, he has been the lead parent. So I think often in a, you know, in a parenting partnership, one or the other parent is the lead parent and you take turns. Um, or sometimes it's very equal, but I really do think that often what happens is that you take turns and he's been the lead parent. Um, I was the lead parent when they were infants, uh, till they were about three. And then since then he has been. And so, you know, I think having those assets in my corner has been essential. Uh, I don't know what I would have done without them. Uh, but I think for me, the lesson is really that we need to have more institutional childcare, you know, more, uh, more of a right to childcare for, for if we really want to see women represented in public spaces, public spheres and political spaces, we have to make sure that childcare is everywhere um, because that was without the resources that I happen to have through my family, I would never have been able to do this. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, I think it's important that asking for help is okay because I know in Asian yeah. culture, it's not always a thing. You know, it's always a sign of weakness or asking for a handout. But, you know, in order for things to work, we we can't do everything alone, right? Whoever says we yeah. can, it's it's not true, <laughs> especially when you're trying to run for office, uh, take yeah. care of kids and do everything else on top of that. So, you know, I'm glad Absolutely. you're able to say that, you know, my husband helps me. He's been very supportive. I have my parents and my in-laws. You know, it's not just me. There's people around me that help me make this work. And I think that's very important to, to share. So I'm really glad you were able to um, share, this with, share that with us today. And uh, if you weren't in politics, What's your second choice of career? I know your husband is in the entertainment industry. Have you ever considered a career in that field? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I think my second choice would be to continue doing the work that I was doing before, which was to work in the nonprofit sector or in the research space um, on issues that matter to me. I would have, um, you know, I think I, I, I would have continued doing that work in Los Angeles. And there's a lot of great organizations that I love and I would have been happy to be a part of. But now as a council member, I get to partner with them on work. So it's, it's been good. Just one more question. Uh, do you have any, any advice to listeners, especially for women uh, who would want to be in leadership roles or running in politics? Um, yeah, you know, step into your power, ask for help when you need it, 
think of yourself as a leader from day one. And um, I think one thing that I I wanted to um, discuss particularly with this audience is that I grew up in a fairly traditional family environment. And I know East Asian families and South Asian families, none of these are a monolith, but the particular environment that I grew up in is one where um, my mother did almost all of the housework um, in America. Uh, When we visited my family in India, it was women who did all of the housework, did all of the cleaning. Most of the women didn't work outside of the home. And when they did work outside of the home, when they had children, they were expected to diminish their careers and accommodate their children and childcare. And so, uh, you know, I think that is definitely, that was the assumption for me. And I fought against that assumption all the time. Uh, Even, I married a man who's also South Asian heritage. And when I insisted on working in India for many years after we got married, I, you know, I had this big role there. I ran this office with 20, 25 people. Um, I was getting grants from international philanthropic organizations. I was on, I was being flown around for conferences. Um, and yet I had to justify why I continue to do that work. Both to my own, you know, I would say it, the hardest justification was from my own parents who said, are you sure? You know, aren't you going to go be with your husband? My husband, to his credit, never expected that. Um, and I would, you know, we we were very aligned on our values and our vision for how we live our life. But that was hard for me. And so I I guess I would just say to, to you know, people who have that kind of, who have that kind of home environment, who have that kind of culture at home, it is a tough, tough conversation to have. And it is never resolved. It is never resolved. It's not that you have the conversation, you come to an understanding and you move on that, okay, now I can be in the forefront. Now I'm the leader. Now I'm the one who takes prominence in terms of work. No. Um, it is a constant discussion. It is a constant um, negotiation. Uh, and But one that I have found to be very, very worthwhile to do and um, one that, frankly, my parents have invested in. You know, they invested in my career. They invested in this campaign. They spent their time supporting me. But it took that, it took that push and effort. Um, and I know that a lot of my Asian and South Asian sisters will, will feel that and will feel that tug between their family obligations, the role that their parents envision for them as professionals, and their ambitions for themselves as, as professionals. And I just wanted to, you know, to say that I hear you and it's real and it does, you know, you can resolve it in the way that you want. Thanks for that great advice. And it's so true. It's not easy being, I always say it's not easy being an Asian woman. (laughs) We have so many expectations that we have to go through, but Sometimes we got to learn to forge our own path and show them that we can create the change that we deserve. You're a great example of what you've done for the city of Los Angeles. And, you know, we're just really grateful to have you today on the show. So thank you for having me. Of course. I want to thank our guests today, Council Member Nithya Raman, for joining us. To learn more about Council Member Nithya and her work, please visit councildistrict4.lacity.org. 
If you have any suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Until next week, I'm Sheena Yak-Chan. I'd like to thank you for listening. Take care until then, everyone. 